0: Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast, part of the Callaway Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jeff Newbarth. Welcome to the Callaway Golf Podcast. I'm Lex, joined by Jeff, as always. In this week, we are continuing our match theme. We're joined by Brian Anderson. Streaming here on Zoom. Brian, you've had 26 years of play by play experience and now you are, you know, you got to join this match for charity. What was that experience like? And when you got the call, what were you thinking?
1: Golly, right away, you make me feel really old. So you probably (laughs) aren't even around that long. But yes, I've been at it a long time and um, uh, this was interesting. It was great. It was really cool and it's fun to be a part of. And fortunately my golf channel experience we did a lot of these made for tv events as i like to say we were the tree that falls in the forest though back in those days nobody listened and nobody cared we we were uh broadcasting for the tens uh back in the canadian tour days but we did do a lot of these events with players mic'd up and we had the heart rate monitors going so mechanically it was all very similar obviously bigger stakes higher profile individuals uh competing but It was great. It's great to be back in golf. I I love doing it. I I was, you know, fortunate enough to do the PGA Championship for four years with Turner Sports, and that was kind of my entry back into golf after uh, four years of Golf Channel. So really enjoyed being with everybody and being a part of a show that raised $20 million. I know you guys have talked about it, but that just still is mind-boggling in one afternoon to raise that kind of money that is going right into play. I mean, as we speak, these are meals that are being delivered. These are payments that are being made to help small businesses and uh, just all the charities that were involved. It's a really cool thing.
0: Yeah, and you got to work with Jeff Newbar, so I'm sure that well, was for sure. a
1: bonus. I didn't know how top. fast we were getting into the suck up on the producer, but uh, since he's here, <laughs> we might as well just uh, point him out that uh, he, he did a fabulous job uh, quarterbacking the whole thing. He had a lot on his plate and You know it's it's not an easy transition it's not necessarily live golf and it's not necessarily edited golf it's plausibly live and everything we're doing is happening but there's a lot of planning and preparation and uh mapping out of uh and structure that has to be engaged there jeff was awesome
0: no comment
2: (laughs) i don't know what to say (laughs) you know know what's so funny ba is like you know, it, it, it it's already Thursday, I, I still have no idea what day it is. Because um, they're all the same around here when you're kind of in quarantine land, right. But it, it was kind of actually that there was about four or five hours where things felt kind of normal, you know, and, and and that's kind of almost been kind of a strange thing, at least for me coming back mm-hmm. is like, you're done with it. And you know, you're in a TV truck, and you're doing television. And, uh, you know, like Steve Bime came by here yesterday, and, and we chatted, and it was, you know, like, like, there's certain things, but we had a little bit more normal when we were down in, in, in Florida other than the biblical rain, um, you know, which, which, was, which was crazy. I, I have not been, you know, watched it back. I'm, I'm, I'm going to. Uh, one thing I definitely, you know, for me, um, you know, right off the bat, your line about feeding Chuck, just kind of put it all in the right tone. And, and for me, that made me, because, you know, let's not lie, the, the hour and a half leading up to, to three o'clock was slightly stressful. Um, in terms of having all four players say to us, like, when are we teeing off? I'm like, I don't know. I'm not the weatherman. And then we finally made that decision of when they were going to tee off. And that kind of started the dominoes. You, you and Trevor uh, and Chuck were inside the clubhouse. So we made the decision to bring you guys out to the, the world's largest umbrella. Uh, and that started that going. But, but when you had that line uh, about feeding Chuck, that kind of just made everybody in the truck smile, relax, and realize we're just, we're just doing TV. It's not rocket science.
1: Yeah, it was was, uh, extremely normal. And then I think it was cool that everybody did, you know, we're all trying to protect each other, too. So there were the social distancing measures in place and all the CDC protocols. And I thought everybody treated that really seriously, you know, and that was good, too. We had the nurses station when we showed up every day. We were tested a couple of times while we were there. So, you know, I think without that piece of it, and I know that was a big part of it, and there was a lot of planning that was involved in that to make sure – uh, you know, behind the curtain that we all felt safe and all the, the staff and all the crew felt like they were comfortable in their workplace. Um, once that box was checked, then we could kind of get back to normal. And, you know, one of the marvels of that day, and I know you're a kind of a techie nerd like me, Jeff, but the 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 fact that everything worked, I mean, minus the blimp, and minus a couple of the cart cameras, and we had a few glitches with the RF equipment, but I try to just remind people that as intimate as that felt from the users end, from the audience end, to be able to just feel like you're eavesdropping on this really cool foursome of just legends, uh, that was very intentional and we wanted to give it that. But the fact that all of that worked and the way we were able to present that was with wireless technology, wireless microphones, wireless earpieces, uh, wireless cameras that are, that are in the carts, And so those are three things right there for each player, and for all of that to just function in somewhat uh, usable level, and actually probably uh, minus a couple of microphones, I thought it was just a, a, a miracle uh, that everybody pulled it off from the engineering side, um, knowing that we were ready to pivot uh, at any time. If, if the stuff didn't work, we, were, we had a plan for that too, but thank goodness we didn't have to, to go there, which would have been what, plan D? Where where at were we least. at with plan the plans we were like yet. plan A plan A was out the window Saturday and then plan B yeah. C maybe D or F yeah I,
2: I showed I showed it on the show the other day B A and then we'll let's get some some of your guys user questions I literally had about eighty pages of paperwork in front of me that is all marked up and everything and it was like okay if this happens then go to this page if this happens go to that page just with with different contingencies for for things you know kind of not working.
1: And Jeff would always say, now, if you'll just turn to page 87 on your format, as I'm (laughs) sitting in the rain, you know, with, uh, you know, but no, it it was all good. It had to be that way. We had the contingency plans that were all in place, you know, we could easily navigate from one place to the other. So that that was one of the things you and Steve did really well that um, for announcers, you know, we know we're about to be in front of a bunch of people. Um, but to know that that side's kind of locked down uh, was that that that's comforting to know that that's in place and everybody knows where they're going and you're not just going to be walking out on a plank and maybe jumping off the ship at that point. Yeah,
0: you guys are definitely in good hands. And like Jeff said, we are live on Facebook on YouTube on Periscope. So if you guys have questions, you can send them in and we'll ask Brian but um, my own question, you know, you've been doing play-by-play for the Brewers, you've done basketball with TNT. How does it change your job when people are mic'd up? You know, like that's a totally different integration for you.
1: Yeah, well, we, you know, the NBA is the best at it, and we have great access on the NBA on TNT. We, we mic players. I mean, LeBron James has worn a microphone for us in a playoff series. So when the best player does it uh, – Players are usually willing to do that. Every game we do in the NBA, both coaches are wearing microphones. Uh, Greg Popovich famously turns his off at certain times, which is actually a good thing for America. But (laughs) for the most part, the NBA is the best. Major League Baseball is probably the worst. And, you know, trying to get access to those players uh, with wireless microphones is a constant struggle for us. I still do the Milwaukee Brewers, and I'm part of the, the Regional Sports Network package of that. Uh, that team um, you 're starting to see things like in the MLB all star game though players are not only wearing microphones but also the ifB the earpieces, and that was the one thing we brought to the match was which kind of changed the playing field the you know the confessional piece where not only could they talk to us and listen to us, we could talk to them, they could bust on the announcers I mean what player doesn 't want to Want to shine the announcers if things aren't you know being said properly, and so and we had that we had that with uh, Barkley and and Brady, so that was kind of the next level piece. I think our equipment is getting better, Um, it's getting less obtrusive, and hopefully we can get to the point where you know even the stuff that these guys wore this past Sunday, they're they're not going to wear that in competition. It's just not realistic, but it does present the idea that you can can get there. And I will say this back in those golf channel days, we, you know, we, you don't necessarily need mic'd up players. I do want to, I think that's important to note. It's cool to have them mic'd up, but you know, if we can be out there with and be trusted, we meaning the broadcast group, be trusted with microphones, boom mics, and we can, we can almost, we can hear almost anything that is happening on a golf course. And so just kind of breaking down those barriers of distrust and, as opposed to us just covering an event and covering athletes, if we can be more collaborative, which was what this was, all the way around from the competitors to the broadcasters to production, then we can develop a little more trust and have better sound and bring you inside. Now, the earpieces and being able to talk and the confessional side of it, uh, that's something I really would love to explore moving forward, whether that's confessional stations, because basically those golf carts proved to be a confessional booth that's what it was and that's when they were most comfortable talking to us and and having that that feedback but um i would like to explore that more we used to do walk and talks at golf channel we used to on you know say on a par five when there was say a backup on a par five you knew there were guys are going for it in two. so we would uh, set up microphones and have a headset or an encore reporter, and we try to get a little more interactive that way but That to me was the biggest takeaway that we can now pursue back and forth in the middle of a competition if players are willing to do that.
0: How much of that do you think is building relationships with these guys? You know, in journalism, it used to be a really common thing that lots of the people who were announcing or, you know, writing about athletes had built relationships over time. Do you think that's going to be important in order to get there?
1: Yeah, it's huge. But it's not just uh, it's gone past the, oh, hey, uh, let's put a microphone on because Brian Anderson is a friend of his and he'll do it. That's not what it is anymore. Um, This event was different. Obviously, Jeff and Phil know each other really well. So, you know, Phil is more connected to what we're trying to do on the broadcasting side. And and we, we have those moments where we can present certain ideas and not have so many people just beat that down before they would even hear it. So back in the day when we were doing golf events and we had all this cool technology and trying all these things like the heart rate monitor and the microphones and we couldn't get anywhere with that. I mean the PGA Tour wouldn't let us even think about even using that on the Nationwide Tour back in those days, which is now the Corn Ferry Tour. So it was great and we proved we could do it and we had great relationships with those guys, but unless the league buys in, and unless the the top players are willing to do it, it's not going anywhere. So then it becomes a relationship that's on way higher levels than play by play guy and producer. So that that's really the next wave of it. They have to trust that we're not going to embarrass them. They can embarrass themselves, but in the NBA, we, Record mostly everything we don 't use anything live, and there 's usually an nBA representative in the truck, so they 're kind of clearing all of this, and that 's probably where that 's going to have to start somebody who 's representing the leagues uh, clearing everything that 's being aired
0: Cool. Um, Grant wants to know where does this rank on events that you 've called
1: i mean um, it 's one of the best events i 've called i mean it 's one of the coolest things i 've ever been a part of it 's um, I mean I've 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 called a no hitter in the playoffs for TBS I've called uh, amazing performances in the NBA the I've called March Madness moments and those are all just I would just call more traditional broadcasts where you're calling a sport and you're there with for the plays and the players but this is something totally different and uh what really what really matters to me about this uh event was just the collaboration from from everybody the competitors the broadcasters the production team we're all just kind of pulling on the same rope and i love that part of it and you know i love the teamwork aspect of it and how everybody just kind of decreased individually so others could increase as a whole and we all had our windows um where we had to deliver you know if you think about it like a batting order we all have our spot in the lineup and when your time's at the plate you gotta you gotta take your shot but when your time's not at the plate it's That was the time to lay low and be quiet and help others and encourage others. And that was the way it was all the way around from the competitors to us. And that's really why it's one of the best things I've ever been a part of, because it was at the end of the day, it was like, damn, we just pulled off something pretty cool. And we, everybody checked egos and we made it happen. Even though there were alpha dogs all over the place, everybody was there kind of for the same reason. And that was to entertain and put on a great show and raise a lot of money.
0: Well, that's a really great point. You know, broadcasts are a huge team effort. We always say like, especially after, you know, Jeff or I has the chance to work on one. It's important to highlight that there's so many people coming together to make this happen. And at least from your side on the announcer front, like chemistry is really important with the people that you're working with as well. Was there someone you were looking forward to working with? Maybe you don't get to see often that was on your team?
1: Yeah, all of them. I mean, uh, all the guys. I work with Chuck. I've never been next to Chuck, so even though I do games on TNT, he's in the studio, and we have some cross pollination there, coming back from half times or whatever. And I've been in a lot of events with him, uh, not off the air, you know, not not on the broadcast. Uh, but I was I was looking forward to that, and 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 working with Chuck and eye contact with him. And he's he's a brilliant guy. I mean, he he kind of plays the dummy every now and then, but he's super sharp and he's really funny and. is what he is exactly the way he is on the air he is off the air um trevor Immelman and i have done a number of pga championships together so um you know we had kind of talked prior to the event that if you're thinking of this as a band uh trevor and i basically agreed that okay trevor you're the drummer i'll be the bass player and we'll try to keep time with the announcers and let them be the lead singers and the the lead guitarists that are up front and are you know are the ones that are going viral on all these things and that's exactly the way that happened so i give trevor a lot of credit he's a great analyst in my opinion the next real great analyst like a lead analyst potential and he kind of checked his ego to step back he was there when we really needed golf moments um and that that made it work because he was always there as kind of that drummer to keep perfect time and when we needed to get into the competition, he was ready for that. So I, I was really looking forward to working with him again. I like him a lot. We spent a lot of time on the golf course, even though we didn't need to. <laughs> we didn't have to know every inch of medalist, but that's the way he rolls. That's why he won a master's, and he <laughs> wanted to learn every inch of it. So I went out with him, and we just talked shop and life and broadcasting and everything. So that, he's, a, he's a good friend, and I enjoy being around him. He makes everybody better, and I appreciate that about him. You
0: know, you tweeted that when Phil drove the 14th green and everything kind of like came together, right? Like the shot tracer, the audio, like everything yeah. was there, Phil's personality was there. I'll ask both of you, Jeff and Brian, like was that your favorite moment when you saw everything come together or was there something else maybe that we're overlooking?
2: Go ahead, Jeff. I don't know, I mean, I mean you know, for, for me, my favorite moment is that we finished. Because there was, there, was a, there was a brief you know, moment there where we on, on like the 13th tee where I'm like, wow, I'm doing the math in my head. If this thing goes 18, I'm gonna be like five minutes after the sunset. So my favorite moment was four guys standing there with a $20 million check for two reasons. One, because we raised $20 million and um, that's just a kudos to everybody who watched and, and all the corporate support who donated to, to make that important. But, but having them finished was really important because I had this this weird vision at one point where I'm like, Um, You know, you don't root when you're in the truck. You you just don't. Uh, I may have been rooting for someone to close it out on 16 at one point because that would have have been uh, for light. Because remember, even with all the cloud cover, it's going to get dark even quicker. And BA can say it. So I'm looking at these monitors of these beautifully painted cameras of the golf and it looks light. But then right below them, I had three individual cameras of BA, Trevor and Chuck, and it's pitch black and they're maybe separated by about a hundred yards. So I knew how dark it was. And uh, I'm just glad that, uh, that that was my favorite moment was finishing.
1: <laughs> Sounds like a truck a truck dweller right there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I did like those moments that you, you referenced Lexi because it, for me and and I, when everything comes together that way and you have those moments. So imagine we've had all these conversations and Jeff started on this way before I even got involved and just you're constantly pouring through where the opportunities are to have a moment. And you don't know that, and we may have had 50 ideas where a moment could have happened, but 11 was one of them. And it's a drivable par four for a reason. Those T's are up there for a reason. That was all pre-planned too. And then for Phil to basically tell (laughs) tell Brady that, uh, I don't care what you hit, I'm gonna go ahead and hit driver no matter what. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But to me, that was like the shot tracer, the cart cam, the, the microphone that he's wearing, the IFB that he's listening to us, his reaction when he got to the green, he's got the catchphrase. He's, uh, it, the whole picture was like everything we all wanted to have happen uh, in, in one sequence. Now, I would say the same thing on all those, maybe minus the, the uh, shot tracer, but everything else happened that way with the Brady-Charles Barkley Interaction uh, before he holed out at seven. So those are probably the two moments that stand out the most. And, and I'm sure fans would have other moments in mind, but for me, just because of the technology and how everything worked. And when, you know, when you have a plan and you're hoping to capture some of this stuff um, and then it works, it's like, oh, yeah, great. Now, play. let's go to commercial now. We, we can all take <laughs> a breath. So, so this is really good.
0: Um, how much insight did you have to Tom Brady and Peyton Manning's game before this all started? I mean, obviously with the weather, everything kind of goes out the window, but I'm just curious.
1: We had a lot of insight to Brady because he must have hit a thousand balls in three days and he yeah. probably played 36 holes in the, you know, the two days leading up to it. I mean, he played a lot of golf and hit a lot of golf balls. So we we definitely saw a lot of his swing and we've seen those two show up in public with their golf game um, at the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am and various events like that. Peyton's played a lot of golf with Tiger in the various programs around um, the PGA Tour. So, I mean, we had a little bit of an idea, but to get out there and see him play in the practice rounds and the weather was beautiful Friday and Saturday. So, we, you know, we felt like we we knew Peyton wasn't going to miss right. I mean, we knew that. Uh, He was going to be slinging some hooks out there all day long uh and then brady was a bit of a wild card right jeff i mean he he hasn't been playing much he's been training ready for a full season so i think that was the huge concern was that brady was going to be all over the map and he was uh in the beginning
2: well it was it, it was kind of funny because there were a lot of different instructors on twitter great instructors who were giving criticisms to tom brady's game they were saying the ball position was wrong the hands were wrong the spine angle was wrong and all i would say to them is yes all of the above Um, which is why one of my favorite exchanges between Phil and Tom was the second shot on 17. I don't know what Tom said, whether it was two iron or five iron, or something Phil just literally said, take a seven iron and keep it on the grass. And I think what Phil really meant, was just keep it on planet Earth because I can reach the green with the third shot no matter where you hit it, unless you put it in in some strange area. Um, I loved the fact that um, Tom Brady, we finally saw something he can't do. But then, of course, just like Tom Brady, he had moments where he rose above it and and contributed. I mean, the fact that those guys played what under par on the back side in alternate shot, I mean, you go through Ryder Cup pairings of two greats, both professional golfers, and they don't shoot even par in alternate shot, and these guys went under par. Mm-hmm. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah, was, so Tom Brady's it was a really gamer. Cool. Yeah. Tom Brady's a gamer when he wants it. Um, the other thing that was really fun is I'll just leave you with this Lex is, is Chuck and Tom Brady were both on property Sunday morning. One of them was running wind sprints in the parking lot. Guess who, <laughs> guess who it was and who it wasn't.
0: Oh my gosh.
1: And the other That's was eating donuts. <laughs> Remember we had a moment there though. And, uh, I forgot how it got resolved. I think Jeff kind of, put the Knicks on it but Trevor Immelman was like oh man yeah. I really want to help Brady can you open me up I want to yeah. give him a quick a quick lesson yeah. I can fix this game right now and we're going oh how would that go over what if he's worse you know so that's what yeah. I was gonna
0: say like do you even I don't know I don't take I don't like to take like advice or whatever when I'm out on the course just because I'm worried it's gonna mess me up for the end I'm like save it until yeah. my round is done <laughs> yeah
2: Same. I don't I don't know I don't know if there was enough advice that could have been given other than have Phil Mickelson as your partner. Because when you have Phil as your partner, uh, great things are going to happen. And, uh, you know, I think that Phil left it feeling really good that, uh, that they got it to only, you know, such a great comeback and only lost one down, right, with, uh, with, with kind of what we saw there. Because Peyton Manning, I mean, uh, he's a stick.
0: Yeah, no kidding. Um, one other thing just about the weather. I mean, we've talked about it a few times that it's like downpouring. And when you're in TV, you have a lot of like, we have a lot of rain delays, especially in sports like baseball. Brian, how do you plan to fill those times? Is it like a per <laughs> game per sport thing? What are you going to talk about if
1: all else? Oh, my fails? God. I'm the king of rain delays. I've been a lot of, I'm lucky in Milwaukee, we have a roof or retractable roof. So that's one of my favorite things about Miller Park and working uh, with the Brewers, but. You know, I've done a lot in rain delays in in my baseball life. I've uh, done play by play of a part of a tarp pool Um, in my golf (laughs) life. We we got rained out in Richmond, Virginia one year and it was sunny enough like there was like one par three that was still available. And we literally went on the air on the Golf Channel and did a par three competition and a fishing show with Boo Weekly so i've done a lot of like rain delay material and that was probably one of my highlights when we did the part three contest at the henrico county open and boo then took us to a pond and we we did a fishing show and you can imagine like we we put banjo music in and boo weekly as you know uh could totally host a fishing show and he's talking about gigging frogs and catching Mm -hmm. fish, and he caught a little bass and so we were ready whatever it was going to be i mean i think um Smartly, uh, Jeff and the crew, we we recorded a bunch of what happened the day before. So we did an audition, kind of a rehearsal to make sure the players, the competitors were comfortable with the the wiring and the carts and all that. So, of course, we recorded all of that, and I think that was available. I know um, the previous match was available to go to. I don't think – I mean, you talk to Jeff. He's, he is producing, but I don't think we would have just been sitting there waxing for hours. Now we might've done some interviews and we had a rain room set up, but we weren't just going to like tell stories and, you know, have Charles Barkley, uh, you know, tell stories from his NBA past.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think it's just, you know, the, the, the challenge there was there was only a limited amount of light. Right. So, so even starting at three o'clock, which is, which was clearly the right move. Um, But we only had about an hour and 10 minutes to play with. Of, of a delay before we were not going to be able to finish 18 holes, assuming it went all 18 holes. That's the beauty of match play is someone could, you know, close it out pretty early. Um, so we had different options. Uh, the rehearsal the day before was spectacular. At some point, BA, someone's going to have to hear that because uh, there were some really great moments in there and, and things that we were lucky enough to see. Um, but, yeah, you know, the, the, the challenge of, of all live outdoor, if you just don't know, you don't know how long, you know, the, the best forecast in the morning called for rain between 1 and 2, Uh, And there was a deluge between one and two. And then they kind of said, because it was coming from the south, that we would have a window, you know, around five o'clock, which should be good for a while. And and it was, but there were a few pretty heavy downpours during that window, as Amanda talked about the other day, um, that the players and and everyone had to deal with.
0: Yeah, I can't even imagine. I haven't worked a ton of rain delays. All of mine, I was like, luckily in studio, so... But well, when I you got work for the
2: Padres, like well, you have a rain delay every decade. <laughs>
0: and, yeah, I know. I was part of one of our longest ones, and happened to be. It was. Um, it was a West Coast game. I don't remember what it was. They all kind of like melded together, but it was a long night. Um, Brian Luke wants to know how your golf game is.
1: Well, it's. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's. I thought it was pretty good, so I was really Jonesing to play golf after the match. And I got home, and it's a beautiful sunny day. I live in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a little town outside called Hartland. I live on a golf course. And I'm thinking, okay, this is Monday. I'll go out and maybe play a few holes. This will be great. I'll walk. Uh, my family, my wife and daughter, they're out doing stuff. So, perfect. I'll go play nine holes or whatever. I played two holes. I lost six balls. And I literally <laughs> I went down one hole where I live, came back on the par five, and I said, nope, straight up the hill. put my clubs away. I said, that's it. I'm not even going to go any further. Um, But normally I play to uh, about a five handicap. So if I play well, I'll break 80 typically is where, you know, I'll shoot in the seventies. If I don't play well, I'll shoot in the eighties. But um, when I, when I went from, uh, when I started at golf channel, I went from a 15 handicap to a three. That's as good as I've ever gotten. I think like a 2.7 index, but I had all these instructions from, Kurt Byram, who learned from Ken Venturi. So it literally went from Ken Venturi to Kurt Byram to me, which is a total waste (laughs) of instruction. But Michael Breed was on our crew back then. Before he was a famous instructor, he was our on-course announcer. And Kay Cockrell uh, and Jerry Foltz. And I must have gotten $100,000 worth of lessons from those guys. Uh, I do remember being on a practice tee at uh, an event, and Trip Eisenhower was – hitting balls after his round, and I was dead shanking and almost wiped him out. So I think my colleagues were so embarrassed of my golf game at that point that they made it a point the rest of the year to every day after we signed off, we would go hit balls or we would play golf. And actually, I got really good, and um, I probably, I'm not that good anymore. I, I can't, like, shoot par every time, but, uh, you know, I'll shoot in the 70s. Typically, Well,
2: good. news is we know some people who can send you some golf balls. So yeah. don't don't let that discourage <laughs> nice. you. Don't let that yeah, discourage I'm going to need
1: you. some. I need six for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I as long as Brady didn't lose all of them, we'll uh, we'll find someone to send some <laughs> your way. Yeah.
0: I was going to say it was Jeff's goal at the start of the year to bring me to a single digit handicap, but uh, yeah. we'll see if that happens. Um, Toys of Arkham on YouTube wants to know if you've ever been to Ireland and what the toughest course you've ever played is.
1: Uh, I, I have not, so that takes me out of that. I've never been, yeah. it's always baseball season, you know, doesn't fit with uh, going to Ireland to play golf. It's usually a little too cold after the season ends. So mm-hmm. that's always been out of my, out of my realm of possibility.
2: Yeah. I went uh, last year with uh Royal Portrush with a piece of content up there with Golden Tate, uh wide receiver for the New York Giants, uh, where he was trying to see how he would do over there. And I got to play it the day before. And uh, let's just say that golf course is really, really hard. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can't even imagine. Yeah, so, Brian, this is usually your, like, really busy time of year, I would mm-hmm. assume, right? Spring training, yeah. March Madness, opening day, and possibly the NBA playoffs, right?
1: Yeah, I would have finished the NBA playoffs, my, my version of the NBA playoffs. So I go through the conference finals, and then Marv Albert uh, handles the conference finals for Turner. So, yeah, when I, we get into the spring, from, from late February into mid-May, um, is as busy as I am all year i probably do half of the events that I do for the year in that window of time um, so yeah this would I would have been back with the Brewers at this point and getting ready for Sunday MLB on TBS which would have started July 5th so this would have actually been a nice window where I would have just been traveling with the Brewers doing Brewers games and a long stretch um, so I'm, I'm pretty busy most of the year and the baseball schedule eats up a lot of that but I do about 150 events a year, and 90 of those are are Brewers games. But yeah, I, I would have just been coming off a really busy stretch.
0: Well, I think we're all really glad that you had the time to come and do this match. And a lot of people do want to know what is in store for Match Three. And Jeff has said we can't <laughs> say, but ideally, what would well, we you can't like say because we don't know. <laughs> I know, but you have ideas. You don't want He's
1: got a lot them. of ideas. We we were we've been pitching ideas forever. Yeah. But for, yeah. first of all, like I just I do want to say that it was great to be a part of the match, and I'm glad I was there. But it, I do want to mention, and we did this during the broadcast. That's Ernie mm-hmm. Johnson's chair, and Ernie, you know he he has a son to take care of, and that's why he wasn't there. And so that's why I was able to do it, and probably wouldn't have done it had it been normal times. Um, that said, moving forward. Um, I, everybody that I've spoken with at Turner sports, um, they're, they're in for it. There's, I'm sh- you guys know, there's a contract in place that calls for three. So I'm sure they want to keep that going. And because of the ratings, um, they're, they're going to want to do it. And they're going to want to keep it going as long as we can continue to bring great talent. And if Phil and tiger, of course, are interested, then of course we're going to be interested from a network's perspective, but, Uh, I can't imagine it not coming back in some way, but um, it was a lot of fun. I think we're going to have a very hard time replicating what just happened. So that was kind of everything. Even the rain made it interesting, uh, more interesting. So uh, I'm sure all parties are uh, wanting a part of it. But when, Lex, when ratings come out like this, as I've been saying, everybody who's got a finger in the pie, they have a whole hand in the pie right now. So there's a lot of people to negotiate around and – navigate to actually make it happen and Jeff and I would not be on that list of the folks at the table to actually do that yeah. at this point
0: well we will just have to see I just like to hear all the possibilities I'm a big thinker um thank you so much for taking the time to be sure. to be with us today Jeff what is happening next Tuesday because
2: yeah so um, ba you like this um right in the start of the second segment of the match we we ran a little feature on David Barber who's uh, a, oh, yeah. a doctor frontline worker who uh has a blog out uh, about kind of all his exploits in the game of golf well he's going to join the podcast on tuesday um we did something kind of cool after watching that piece ba yeah, we set him up uh for something we're doing now called a distance fitting which anyone can do if they go to caliagolf.com slash distance fitting uh we're one of our head uh fitters or one of our professional fitters will call you and kind of dial you into to a new set of clubs we'll uh Uh, Mr. Barber's getting a complimentary set of clubs for all the work he's done on the front lines from uh, from Callaway, which is pretty awesome. So uh, we're going to have him on on Tuesday morning. Uh, It's an early show for me. So I'll actually wake up one day and uh, we will uh, go through kind of uh, his story because I know it's the first time I saw that piece. I was pretty inspired. Uh, Mm -hmm. I don't know you were too, BA. So excited to have him on on uh, Tuesday.
1: I'm just, Uh, well, Jeff, will you mind doing that show, uh, laying down on your couch, looking up at your Emmy Award and I feel like that's in I a could, place where you can just... I could try. I've always liked wow. the scavenger hunt in the background, and uh, yeah. that's that's a very well-placed trophy right there. Well, there's, I can imagine there's one th- there.
2: There's one thing that after we sign off air and Jen tells me that we're official out there that i got to show you before we hang up, that uh, we'll be going <laughs> okay. in that same corner soon, but uh, not quite I ready like for it. prime time. Okay, right. I love it. Well-
0: Thank you so much for joining us, B.A. If everyone who's watching now wants to tune in on Tuesday, get up bright and early, set your alarm clocks. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. And Jeff, we'll see you next time.